The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. This morning, I think would be better to be teaching on the flood, but I'm not going there. So just kind of a heads up with that. Um, we, um, I, was, I was telling Randy, I said, you know, it's, uh, Dale and Randy have been elders since this church started, and um, Kate and I, my wife, signed on as the first family. So that's, that's my qualification for being here this morning, I guess. I don't know what else. I, I can go long hauls and, and, and not cave under pressure, I guess. So, um, but uh, no, I'm doing some stuff also with the EFCA, which has really been a joy and a blessing for me. I think Dale and Randy have been through, a, I don't know, it's 14 months training. I'm in the midst of that, and, and um, we've, uh, I've been involved since this thing started, and it's a great thing to be a part of, um, to watch God draw people together and then to witness um, God's provision, God's confirmation. I loved what it said to Moses. He said that uh, you will, wor- as a sign of this calling, you will worship on this mountain. And when you return and worship on that mountain, you know, you kind of just grin ear to ear to go, okay, I knew this was God's plan. And God does that. He will confirm these plans. Um, this morning is really tailored. It's, it's um, as I started preparing for this, I really started thinking this was about one thing. And you can approach God's word from a lot of different angles. Um, we could be teaching this morning on, on the, the story of God with the nation of Israel and how God collectively has chosen Israel, how he's provided for them, and how he's used them to display who he is to this world. Um, that's a track you could take. Um, I am not going there this morning. I, I'm really um, going to give a teaching that looks to draw out the particular calling that God had upon Moses. And then by way of um, extension, to really say, what does that mean to us? Um, in Doxa today, we've got a mission statement. We start with Jesus. If you see who he is, you got to worship. And if you're a part of worship, you're going to join together with the body of believers because that is how um, we express who Christ is to this world. It's, you can do it as an individual, but, but the collective body of Christ is called to display who he is. And there is, um, it gives a, a clearer picture, I think, in some respects. And the last thing really is mission, and that's what we're talking about today. What precedes mission? And in order to have mission, there's got to be a call. So if we don't get the call, there is no mission. So that's where we're going. Um, I want to give you the 10. I do top 10 this morning, so you just got to humor me. Again, I have history of multiple head trauma. So if you think he's off or we're missing something here, go, okay, he maybe is. So having said that disclaimer too, uh, you know, when you bang your head and you see stars, that's head trauma, by the way, just if you're not sure. And if you do that multiple times, that's multiple head trauma. So we clear that one up. Top 10 facts about the call to lead. I'm gonna, I've got a handful of top 10s. But, but when we are called to lead, when we are ste- called to step out of where we are um, with God's specific plan being directed to us to incorporate, top 10 facts about the call to lead. Number one, it profoundly influences others. Number two, it requires sacrifice. Number three, it's a privilege. Number four, it's a burden. Number five, it's hard work. Number six, its rewards are eternal. Uh, Number seven, it requires God's provision. Number eight, it requires a rearrangement of priorities. Number nine, it requires, uh, excuse me, it is God glorifying. And number 10, the job is assigned by God. 
So, top 10 facts about the call to lead. Top 10 reasons Moses should obey God's calling to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Okay, you got this? Top 10 reasons Moses should obey the calling to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Number one, Moses was not very busy at the moment. I mean, he's in a desert with some animals. It's not a lot more going on there. Uh, number two, he will get a cool staff. You'll see some of this unfold in weeks to come, by the way. Uh, three, meals are included. Four, Zipporah knows how to use a sharpened flint knife. I'm not going any further with that one. Number five, Moses will get to see firsthand God's judgment upon the Egyptians. And that, that's Another interesting thing. Number six, the story will be included in the number one best-selling book of all time. Uh, number seven, uh, Moses will be recorded in the Hebrews Hall of Faith. There's that chapter 11 in Hebrews. Number eight, Moses will get to try God's manna. Number nine, past performances have no bearing on future events. And number 10, God is the one making the call. So there's some little heads up where we're going. So let me ask this to you about this morning. Have you received God's call? And let me define that. Um, a calling, and, and I'm going to break this down a little more later on, but a calling is a specific request by God given uh, to an individual. Now, there are two different types of callings. You've got a general calling, and you've got specific callings. A general calling um, would be if you are a husband. You are to love your wife as Christ loved the church. You are to be the spiritual leader in your home. Uh, you are responsible for the welfare of the household. Um, there are specific callings uh, when... Back up. The, the general callings of these positions, which are universal to all uh, people. And now, if you're a man, obviously, and married, it applies in that setting. Um, another general calling to love others, um, to glorify Christ. There are certain biblical things that say, generally, if you're a Christian, everybody does this. And then you have specific callings, which are detailed, and, and the, they concern the particular... Um, way in which an individual will minister. That may be um, in a counseling setting. It may be in a teaching setting. It may be in a jail ministry. It may be um, in some type of particular setting that is, is specific to the individual. So, want to clarify that um, because today, this morning, we'll be talking about the specific calling, not the general calling. And so, when I ask has God called you to something this morning? I'm saying, how is God, um, is there something that you are convinced uh, that has come from God that is directed to you in which he is calling you to obedience? Is there something along those lines taking place in your life? So, let me move on from that, but that's really the question. I don't have overhead today. The, the deal here, soaking God's word and get blessed by it, but the second thing I really want you to take away is to walk away and say, where do I belong? And, it, and if you're where you belong, is God confirming that? And are you being blessed? Are the hallmarks of being obedient to that particular calling present in your life? And if you're not there, there are some questions. Why? Why are you not there? 
And we'll, we'll break down a little more of that. But really the question is, am I where God wants me to be today with regard to his particular calling regarding his mission? So, all right. Uh, we pick up chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was sending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. So we open up, and to really put this in context, um, we know this from other passages in Scripture, but Moses spent 40 years in Egypt, and now we're at the concluding period of 40 years in Midian. Now, 40 years have passed, and there's, in, in, in Exodus, there's nothing going on. He's been tending animals and having a family. He's 80 years old. Now, think that one through, by the way. He'll only live to be 120. So he has spent one-third of his life in a particular setting being raised and trained and equipped with basically the ways of the world, and then another 40 years in Midian. In let me address a couple things in order. I want to get ahead of myself. The, the number 40 is really important. This was cool. When I started studying the Bible, I'm like, well, what's the big deal with 40 years? Um, there's biblical importance to a lot of numbers in Scripture. And then when you see all of those events where the Scripture has been in play concerning those events, you can draw from it what God is doing with regard to that time period. And I'll break that down for you. Moses spent 40 days... Oh, man, that's not God. That's an alert. All right, so be quiet. All right, go back to my clock now. I got a clock running here. Moses spent 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in, in, in Midian. Um, Moses will spend 40 days and 40 nights up on Mount Sinai at two different times. Uh, Moses sp sent spies into Canaan when they were checking out the promised land. Spies spent 40 days in Canaan. Prior to commencing his ministry, Christ spent 40 days in fasting and in preparation, culminating in temptation in the desert. Jonah, the prophet Jonah, warned to ancient Nineveh for 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Elijah spent 40 days without food and water at Mount Harab again. Um, Jesus also appeared post-resurrection for 40 days. So you go, well, that's a lot of coincidence there, right? When you, when you pull all of this together, it really symbolizes the number 40, a period of testing, trial, or probation. So think about that, that, that if you're going through something with God, there are times of testing, there are times of trial, and there are times of temptation. Um, and there's significance in that. Um, scripture records he's tending his father-in-law's sheep or animals. Um, why is that? Well, what did Moses leave uh, what, what did Moses take with him when he left Egypt? The answer is nothing. The clothes on his back. Um, so obviously he's here and taking care of his father's property because he came with none. Um, and obviously that changes when his father passes away. Uh, there's some interesting stuff about how they referenced his father. I don't have time for it. Um, this is a job tending flocks um, that would have been like, way below Moses' skill set. Um, <laughs> there are parts of this outline, and I hate reading from an outline, but there are parts that I need to read. I ran across a quote. Um, for an Egyptian to be tending flocks, not only was it a messy, dirty job, but an Egyptian, I found a quote on how Egyptians viewed shepherds, okay? 
And it was this quote, for every shepherd is an abomination unto the Egyptians. Now, does that tell you what it must have felt like to be a shepherd and be Moses? You got that? To be an abomination unto the Egyptians. And he's done this job how long? 40 years. Um, I was thinking about this, and, and, I, and I'm going to submit that probably when he got the job, it was a humiliation versus humbling him. And after 40 years of doing something, I think where he was at that point was that he was humbled versus humiliated. And there's a huge difference between the two. If I'm humiliated, my pride has been injured, I feel like a disgrace, I'm stupid, um, there, there's emotional pain. Being humbled is really acknowledging with clarity who I am and who God is and getting it. See, if I, because I can't be too big for my britches when I know who, who I am and who God is. It simplifies. And that's not a painful experience, by the way. Really, in the final analysis, that's a comforting... Um, that should give me a sense of security and peace versus... A, a feeling of, well, why am I bigger than I really should be? Um, because when you know that God, when you see truly who God is, that, that he is a provider, that, that he is just, that he is loving, that he is all-powerful, when you have that type of backing and support, you should be able to sleep well. You know, when you watch the news in particular in the Middle East, but even out in Oregon, you know, this is a crazy world we live in. It, it is full of evil. Somebody said, how could this guy pull out a gun and start asking people about their faith and shoot the Christians? I would say he's demonically possessed. You know, I've been around people in my life as a Christian where I've walked into settings and met somebody and the hair stood up everywhere on my body and said, I'm leaving now, now. There's a great story on um, the, the book, the, uh, um, what was the big boat with Clooney? He gets out in the boat and it like gets sunk in the end. Uh, the Perfect Storm. There was a guy, I, the, uh, there was a, a book written on that that preceded the movie, obviously. And there was a story of a guy who walked up to the boat that would ultimately sink and stood there for a minute and said, no, not me, and walked away. I mean, he knew something was given to him that gave him a heads up. But in this world, there are wicked, evil, depraved people. And, and if you think about how can I be secure in my person without Christ, I don't know how you do it. I mean, maybe take tranquilizers at night. That would probably help with a start, you know. But, but you can't, we can't prepare ourselves with the world's resources to adequately give me a high level of comfort and safety when I walk out my front door in the morning. Yet I leave every day with Christ and have utter confidence that, you know what, I'm fine. I'm Teflon. And not only am I fine in Teflon, I believe that God's provision will extend to my family, to my community, and to the body of believers here. And I'm convinced of that. And that doesn't mean that things won't happen to us. It simply means that we have the backing of a holy God and we should sleep well in light of that. And I think... After 40 years, when we see clearly that Moses figured out who he was and who God was, um, that, that he was at a place where he had been humbled. And, and, and I'll just leave that there and let you draw your own conclusions with that. Um, this is really interesting. Scripture, the, the only place, you know who Scripture reports at one time uh, that there was a man on the earth who was the most humble man on the face of the earth. There's one Bible verse that makes that statement, and it's directed toward Moses. 
It's really interesting that when you start to see about who this guy was, that's Numbers 12.3. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone on the face of the earth. That's a, if you want something in your resume, yeah, I'll take that. That, that will work. Um, but I'm not sure uh, how I would have to go about acquiring that humility. Um, and obviously the story of Exodus is really a story on, on how we acquire that level of humility. Okay. So what does it take us to get to where Moses is at the end of 40 years? Because that's a prerequisite, not universally, but often for serving effectively in your particular calling that God has prepared you for. So what does it take for us to get, for God to get us to where Moses is at this moment? Let me ask a couple questions. Is it through holding a job that is beneath us? Is it having to live in a social class that's not up to our expectation of where we belong? Is it having a physical affliction that plagues us where at the end of the day we just have to say, God, I'm, I'm just, uh, this is all you get. And you realize that if he gets anything, it's only going to be through his power and strength. Is it having a spouse who maybe doesn't respect you or fails to see the depth of your own struggles or walk with the Lord? Is it having a child that shows you how we must appear before God? Let me say that again. Is it having a child who shows us how we must appear before God? You know, my oldest one day, I got really angry and I screamed at him. And I don't scream often. We have a rule in our house. You can scream in the house, but the house has to be on fire. Okay, so that's a good rule to me. I like that. Like, no, no, the house ain't burning, honey. Turn it down. It's, it's not on fire yet. Um, so... I had a son, my oldest son, I, I got really angry one day, and I, and I raised my voice, and I said, how blind can you be? And in the next 24 hours, God started peeling away a picture of myself before God and how blind I could be. And at the end of 24 hours, my son had much better vision than I had, had accused him of. And the reason for that is that there are some areas in my life that are, I'm oblivious to. I, I, I'm, in, I'm not here. There are, I, I joke about it that I have something called spiritual measles, um, and that's where God shows up in spots. And those other areas that aren't afflicted, God's not present. And that's a scary thing that you can stand here, been a Christian for 25 years, and say, there are tracks of my life that I'm oblivious to, how it's a, an offense to God or, or how it's a failing to God that I don't even have a clue exists. So what Oswald Chambers calls unconscious unreality, meaning you just don't have a clue. And then God has ways of slowly revealing to you who you've been to him through circumstance. And when you get that, it's easy to never accuse another person of being blind, let alone question the depth of their blindness when you see it within yourself. So what does it take for God to get us where Moses is here in Midian? And again, I don't know because each of us have a particular place that God takes you along in life and brings you there. And, and I'll say this, Moses' response is, who am I? I love the statement, we are in a C group. If you don't have a C group where you love everybody that's in it, um, start praying that God lets you have that C group with those people in your group. Um, it, it's just a great joy. Um, 
And, and I felt like this year with our C group that Randy gutted our C group. I'm like, that guy, I'm going to get even with him. You know, they, we, we had this huge C group that was just, you show up and it's just wide open. Open the fire hydrant, they come in the front door, two hours later they leave and you're like, wow. Um, so it was a real change this year, but it's so great that you see that, that in God's wisdom, um, how he does um, what, you, what you not only want and need, but your heart's desire for people. So it's just a joy to have my C group this year. I hope you feel that way about yours. So we're on Mount Harab. Um, a little bit of significance about, I, you know, I'm conflicted sometimes when I want to give details in teaching because there's a lot of things, sometimes putting just a little more, little more scaffolding on particular biblical events helps clarify that this wasn't an accident. Again, 40, 40 years of Midian, no accident. Mount Harab showing up on this mountain, no accident. Um, according to biblical scholars, Mount Harab, the um, word means glowing or heat. Um, and it's interesting because there's references that actually would point to the sun figuratively. Now, it's, the majority of commentaries note that Sinai and Mount Harab are the same mountain. And Sinai is derived from the name Sin, which is a, uh, a Sumerian deity of the moon. So it was interesting, John Calvin had a commentary where he said Sinai was one side of the mountain and Herod was the other side of the mountain, which would indicate that you had a mountain of the moon and sun, which is just, I think, interesting when you start breaking down those little bits, bits of detail, probably useless in its final analysis. Um, its significance is this, it's where God would obviously appear to Moses in this passage. Uh, it's where the Ten Commandments would be given to Moses uh, by God. Exodus 17.6 describes an event where the Israelites were in the wilderness without water and Moses hit the rock at Harab. Again, same location. Um, it's a location where the Israelites will now circle again and strip off their gar uh, ornaments. Um, there are uh, mentions in Kings with regard to Elijah showing up at Mount Harab. Um, no reference in the New Testament to Mount Harab, although there is to Sinai in Galatians and it was kind of a no significance reference to the physical mountain. It was more figuratively. So let's pick up verses two and three. It says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. Moses saw that the, Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why this bush does not burn up. Now, if you see a burning bush that is not burning up, my personal advice, run. Go, just, just skip it. You, don't, you know, he gets given a job to lead a million arrogant, stiff-necked, obstinate, um, ungrateful, um, wayward people who will never appreciate a thing he does, and they'll all wind up dying in the desert anyway because they're so belligerent toward God. So if you need a job like that, you see the bush, go and embrace it, poke the bush, do whatever you want. I'm cool. It's, um, I'm a little facetious with that because a lot of times people say, well, I didn't get a burning bush. And I go, well, the toilet water didn't part. Moses didn't step out. Give me a tablet either. I said, but I'm not sure I want the mission given if you get the burning bush. It's, it's just figuratively, a lot of people say, well, I'd like a burning bush. And if you really break it down biblically, I'm not sure I want the burning. I can tell you I don't want the burning bush. I don't know about you guys. I'll speak for myself. I like my bed. You know, I like regularity. Um, ungrateful people annoy me. 
Um, you know, I can put up with camping for a period of time, but at five o'clock, I typically like to be in the gym from five to six. I'm a creature of routine. All that went away and then some. So your call, you do whatever you want if you find the bush. Um, but don't be surprised if you get given a heck of a job when the bush starts talking. All right, verses four and five. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Do you ever wonder why God has to call men by, two, by the name twice? Well, first of all, we typically aren't listening the first time a man hears his name. And if you don't believe that, turn to your spouse and say, is that true? Just see what she's got to say. So God calls our name twice. So we don't mistake any because we're not listening the first time. I'll back it up biblically. Genesis 46, 2, Jacob, Jacob. 1 Samuel 3.10, Samuel, Samuel, Luke 22.31, Simon, Simon, and Acts 9.4, Saul, Saul. It's again, I just say there's significance there for us as men. So if you're a woman, by the way, use his name twice. You'll get his attention. Just, just that's free, by the way. All right. It works in our home. I mean, I don't know what else to say, except it really does work in our home. All right. Let's, um, the, I'd love to spend a lot of time on the holy ground, and I just don't have time. But I'm going to say this. That word holy, when was the last time outside of church we heard the word holy? And it's a word that's been stripped from our vocabulary, and I think that's a bad thing. I'm going to move on. Exodus 3, 6. Then he said... I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Um, you know, it's really interesting. When God appears biblically, everybody's terrorized. Um, God is holy. Um, and again, that's why I say that word holy has little significance to us in our culture. Um, Moses will ultimately be the person who writes the first five books of the Bible. I'll submit that the first 40 years of Moses' life, he knew exactly who his mother was. He knew the entire lineage and history of his family. They would have had genealogies that would have dated people back, by the way, because that's a big deal. Because, we, well, he would have had the full picture from creation forward. And there would have been no question about his knowledge and understanding of the significance of that history. And in particular, of the prophecy of Israel being in a foreign land and toward the end being suppressed and being uh, oppressed by a people under which God will then turn and lead them out. And I will submit that I'm convinced that Moses knew he probably was that guy. Why does Moses turn around and strike the Egyptian harming one of his Hebrew brothers? I mean, he knew clearly he was of Hebrew ancestry. He knew clearly he had a duty to step out and make a difference on behalf of his people. Now, I could be totally wrong on that. But I would submit that I think that's probably fair. Because when he gets the call now, everything's been rearranged. He's not thinking, oh, I'm the man for the job anymore because he realized that something had happened that went horribly wrong when he stepped forward thinking now was the time. And part of this is learning God's timing, which is a nightmare, by the way. Personally, it's a nightmare. Uh, my experience of waiting on God has 
Again, I say this because when I look back, the fruit of the fire is beautiful today, and I appreciate it. But if God send, sent me now, said, Jonathan, you want to go back to Midian for 40 years? I'd have said, no, quick. Knowing what I might get from going to Midian, I will say no at this moment. So I don't want to go to Midian. Um, that, that is a place where you're in the mundane. It, it is where you learn about who you really are apart from his grace. It's a time when you get a painful awareness of who you truly are apart from God's grace. Um, and that's not, that's not pleasant. That's, that hurts. Um, and again, I'm not a person who signs up for pain. I'm, I'm not that kind of a guy. I want as little pain. I was telling my mom about a friend of mine who does MMA fighting. And she goes, would you like to do that? And I'm like, heck no. I like my blood on the inside of my body. That's where I like my blood. I want to keep it there. And even if you want to draw it to the surface as a bruise, I'm going to pass. I don't need it. So I'm a guy that likes comfort. I don't like the unexpected. I don't like, you know, having things drawn out where I have to submit and trust. Then again, then again, do I have a choice at times and certain seasons? And again, we're, what we're seeing is what God does in a particular life. And hopefully we can draw parallels to what's going on in our life with some of the events, whether you're coming, going, or staying. Okay, um, picking up. He hears this. It's interesting how God says, I am God of your father, of the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at that, Moses is terrified, hides his face. Um, and, and now he's wondering, where do we go from here? Uh, 7 through 11. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrow. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place where the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Pezzarites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Let me stop for a minute because I'm not going to teach on this, but there is so much there to say that we have a God who knows our heart, to know our burden, to know our suffering, to know our trial. And that affects how we go through it if we really believe that he knows it and he's with us. I don't have the time to go there. I'm going to keep going. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Egypt has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression of which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, I'm sure this is what Moses heard. I am sending you to Egypt to lead the people out. That's what he caught, probably. You know, because when you hear like, you know, I'd like you to go and, and help us out with this uh, army maneuver, and, I, and I'm going to need you to get pack some bags and get a coutine and fill it up with water, and then I'm going to need you to run across an open minefield under heavy gunfire to receive a live grenade. You miss everything except he open minefield, heavy gunfire, and live grenade. Why? Because now my flesh is involved again, all right? So we kind of miss what's going on. I'm being a little facetious, but, you know, where we're going with what I'm focusing on, those words, I will send you, would have rung his bell loud and clear. It's interesting about the promise that he gives to, it, to the Israelites. Um, when you hear that God saves not only his people from their oppression and slavery, he gives them assurance of a future in a promised land. And what does Christ do us do for us in our Christianity? 
Not only does he free us from the oppression of the slavery of sin, but he liberates us and gives us a promise of a new land to come. So the question I have is this. Um, Was it made clear who God had chosen to lead the people out of Egypt? Was it made clear who God had chosen? And and obviously, I, I have to be... I mean, I think he's crystal clear. Um, you, know, you know what shocks me most about Christianity? And I'll say this. I, every once in a while I catch a glimpse really of how, how insanely wasteful. Now, I'm not going to say insanely wasteful because that's not true. How shockingly absurd it would be for Christ to have died for me. That to me is one of those things that I just, I don't get it. When, when, I, when I look in the spiritual mirror and I see who I am, you know, kill somebody else, a rotten sinner for me, okay, that's all right. He had it coming anyway. But kill a holy, perfect human being in my place as I lived for years in a state where I couldn't give a rip about anything he would care for me. Just, just obstinate to say, I couldn't, you know, it, it mattered nothing at all. It was a nuisance and an annoyance to hear that Jesus loves you. And that just kind of, it shocks me as to who I can be apart from Christ. What shocks me a little bit more than that is that God would use us to do his work. You know, it's one thing to be a rotten sinner and him to do something extreme, but then to take that rotten sinner and dust them off and say, I got a mission for you. I want you to express to this world through your hands, your feet, your eyes, your lips, who I am to this people. And to love them and to care for them and to nourish them and to equip them and to, and, and to be all that I am to them that I have been to you while you still couldn't give a rip. And that blows me away. That just leaves me in disbelief that God would choose to use us to do his work. Uh, A principle, very simple principle, God's calling is unequivocal. God's calling is unequivocal, and you'll see this in a couple minutes. God's calling is unequivocal. I will send you. And then he outlines the detail. If you're serving and you believe you've been called to serve in a particular way in a specific calling... I would ask you to go back and look at that to be sure and confident that where you are, it is unequivocal that God has placed you there. I look at Doxa, one of the most exciting things for me in Doxa has been to watch God strategically grab people and place them in in, in places of responsibility, in, in places of just presence. It is strategic in how God is orchestrating the drawing together of this body. Um, and, and I am 100% convinced that I belong here. And, and that's an exciting thing because I think God works along those lines. He doesn't say, well, I'm going to go send you to South Carolina to do some work for me. That, that's not how I think God calls. I think God is very, very specific in his calling. So Moses, if, if God came to Moses and said, how would you like to go back to Egypt and lead the people out of Israel? What do you think Moses would have said? I think Moses would have said, no, not today. Thanks, Lord. Cheers. And walked off with the animals. Interesting bush, by the way. Thanks. And that would have been it. He he wasn't given a choice. 
He was, I will send you. Does that sound negotiable? Does that sound like he's got a little wiggle room? Um, you know, that is pretty unequivocal. Now, that's good and that's bad. It's, it's bad because you, you wind up having a particular path that's mapped out. And if you deviate from that path, God has ways of getting your attention and drawing you back to the path, which I would never suggest. But it's good because when you're confident you're in the middle of that path, you have the power from the throne of the maker of the heavens and the earth, 100% flowing from that throne to your presence and your disposal to fulfill those responsibilities. And that is amazing. When you see that type of backing, you go, wow. Let me define God's call again. God's call, it's a claim, and this is toward the specific calling. Uh, It's a claim on one's life and time. It is the sovereign preference of how God desires to use a human life. Okay? God's call is on our life is not centered on my choice, but on God's decision. All right, so that's not pleasant for sinners, including redeemed sinners like ourselves. Um, It's the total opposite of corporate thinking, which is be your own man. No, 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 you're not your own man. You're God's man. It is antagonistic to the American dream, which says you can have it all. You can't have anything except what God provides for you as you step out in faith. So if if you're in America today trying to acquire having it all, the problem is you're going to run into a conflict with that. And I'm not saying 100 out of 100 people can't fulfill that calling and have it all, I'm saying 99 out of 100 can't because it's just inconsistent with the priorities. See, if you have what the American dream says you can have, you've got overhead. You've got to take care of it. It requires time, energy, attention, a whole load of other things. There's strings attached to everything you have, whether it's spiritual or it's physical or it's emotional. And when those strings are tethered to a holy God, you're eternally secure. But when those strings are tethered to things of this world, you're eternally insecure. So again, what you give up in return for what you get is a good deal. Okay. The calling that we get is not always talent-based. I think that's really important. Say, oh, this guy's really good or this guy's really great doing that. That doesn't mean that's where God's going to put you. He may put people the complete opposite of that out there to train them to learn to be dependent. See, if I have great gifts, skills, and abilities, and I stand up here, you'd say, well, that's a good teaching. Jonathan, anyway, has good skills, gifts, and abilities. But if I'm an academic invalid and I can stand up and give you God's word, you go, wow, that came from God. Because it certainly didn't come from him. And who gets the glory? And this whole thing's about just one thing. Who gets the glory? And that's an amazing thing. The call cannot be heard unless God's spirit dwells in you. Let me repeat that again. God's call cannot be heard unless his spirit indwells. So if you're sitting here unsaved and you're saying, I've never heard a call, well, no, you shouldn't hear that call. Other than the drawing of God's spirit toward redemption, um, there's not a call. Um, Oswald Chambers states this, and I like this, the need is not the call. Christ said the poor will always be there. The call is not to feed the need. The call is to respond in obedience to what God wants from you. The call is not outcome-based. This is a big deal. Um, If this church never got bigger than what it is right now, 
that would not make doxa a failure in God's size. And God may ordain a church like this never to get bigger. And there's a little part of me that loves this size because you know everybody, you know, and that's a great thing to be a part of a body where everybody knows you and you're known by everybody. I love that. Um, that's when you're a part of the body. You can't, you know, if somebody walks by a total stranger, you have no appreciation for where they've come from and what God's doing. You got to know them to appreciate them and what God's doing in their life. Okay, how does the call come to us? God's calling come a lot of ways. It can come through circumstance. It can come through a bush, but again, I've told you about what to do if you see the bush. Um, it can be confirmed through scripture, through circumstance, through other people, through opportunities. It can come from a heart's desire. I love Randy's testimony that he was sitting at a computer table and just had this drawing that, that, life, that, that his life is to, is to create a church, a body of believers and if you get a chance, ask Randy about that, because then, then you start to see how far from an accident this body's gathering really is when you see what happens with that. I'm going to say this. The vast majority of calls come from a very still, quiet voice where God's spirit simply lays out. And, and it's not, and I wouldn't say, I can't say it's not audible, but it's in a way in which there's a present reality that is acknowledged that this is what God wants from you. Um, that, that this is where I want you to be. And it's like if I put in big block letters for, let's say, for Chet, Chet, I want you to be at Doxa, and I put it in big, bold things, it, it, it's just a part of the presence of your reality that this is what God wants. There's, there's a clarity of the presence of that need to be fulfilled by you, and you're convinced it comes from God. All right, let me ask a question. If you sit here today professing Christ as Lord and Savior, one of four things is happening. God, prepare, God is preparing you for the call, and that might be what I call the Midian wilderness experience. Uh, two, God is calling you as we speak. And if you're like me, you're kicking right now. You're arguing. You're giving some excuse. Uh, you may be hemming, hawing. You may be turning the music louder so you don't hear the call, Okay. Because the natural response when you really do get a call from God is that this is crazy. You've lost your mind. I don't think I'm equipped to do this. And if I was equipped, I still couldn't pull it off. And then guess what you hear? Crickets. Because God doesn't, God's let you know what he wants. He's not going to start debating with your argument. He might give you a staff. But other than that, there's not a lot more. But just a present knowing that this is what God wants. You know, I, I was called into a ministry years ago that it was crystal clear to me. One morning, I'm in the morning, and, and I, it's crystal clear. I want you, th this is what it was, you'll do that job. And I'm like, no, I won't. No. And I did what every good, selfish, incorrigible sinner who is, is learning to follow God does. Tell nobody about the call. You don't want to tell anyone about the call because that's when people start orchestrating a conspiracy against you to fulfill the call because they know it came from God, right? That's what happens. So you don't tell anyone. And six weeks go by, goes by and a person who was heading up this ministry comes to me and says, Jonathan, would you be interested in this job? And I said, no, but this is what I heard. And he looked at me, stares at me and goes, 
I'll send you the paperwork. And walks away. That was it. Now, I go to my wife, who will bail me out, because clearly this is not what I'm supposed to do for God. And I go to her, and I say, honey, can you believe crazy, crazy lunatic so-and-so said this? And, and, and I gave her my excuses why I shouldn't do it. And she looked me dead in the eye. Now, I'm hoping she's going to say, oh, that's crazy. It really is. You shouldn't do that. That's what I'm looking for. And she looks me dead in the eye and goes, to whom he calls, he equips and walks away. Where do you go with that? Where do you go with that? And, and, and I share this for one reason. If you're anything like me, when he speaks, it's a horrifying prospect. Because he's going to do something with me that's going to take me out of my comfort zone. He's going to do something with me that's going to make me vulnerable, transparent, and open, and exposed. And I don't want you to know who I am. It's painful. It's humiliating. And it's really not humiliating, truthfully. The fruit is to be humbled. That's really what it is. It's, it's, just, it's just to get a clearer picture of who you are and who God is. Maybe you're kicking to this morning, and that's okay. Um, so God is calling you. Maybe you're serving in your calling, and with that, I just rejoice. I just go, yay, God. And four, if you are not in the wilderness experience getting ready to be called, and if God is not, if, he, if he's currently calling you or if you're presently serving in your calling, number four is you are a miserable Christian for having ignored the call. That's where you'll be. So one of those four places is where you will be, and I'm just giving you a heads up. Um, there are some things that can happen that will cause us to miss the call. Um, we may be way too busy. The music may be too loud. We may be are refusing to pick up the phone. It's ringing and we're going, no, 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 no. I know who's on the phone. I know what he's going to ask. Um, there's a lot of things we do to run from God. Jonah, good example. And, and if you want to go down that road, I'm cool with it. Uh, we will each take our own particular path. I'll share this today. I am much more predisposed to obey. And I'm going to tell you why. Because I've seen times where God has called me to do something and I said no. And then I've watched people suffer as a result of my disobedience. And I don't want people to suffer anymore. I'm tired of taking rather than giving. And when you realize how quick life goes in the final analysis, you start to reappraise what's really important and what's not. And I gotta be honest, all my petty, selfish garbage is exactly what I just called it. Most of my wants are petty, selfish garbage. And yet I can step forward and be used by the heaven of the makers, of the, the creator of the heavens and the earth. Let me share a couple top tens for you in closing. Um, top ten, the top ten questions to Moses from God. What makes you think, all right, so this, this, is, uh, this is questions given to Moses from God following this exchange. Where Moses says, who, who am I? Top 10 questions to Moses from God. What makes you think I am lacking in resources to pull off the mission? First question by God. Number two, question from God to Moses. When was the last time you saw a bush burning that was not being consumed? Four, or excuse me, three. Uh, when was the last time you had a conversation with a burning bush that was not being consumed? It's fair. Number four, do you not believe that I am God? That should wake you up. Number five, do you really want to stay in Midian? Number six, 
Who has been providing for you and protecting you these last 80 years? Number seven, have you suffered a head injury since I last saw you? Number eight, what makes you think I'll break my promise to your father Abraham? Number nine, if I am perfect, what makes you think this calling is a mistake? And number 10, what part of I am sending you did you misunderstand? Just some questions from God to Moses. Top 10 reasons we should obey God's calling for our lives. This is for us. Number one, it is God who shall do the speaking for you. You ever have a conversation with somebody, you go into a situation, I met somebody recently in the past year that, that literally has gone through the worst thing a human being, in my opinion, can go through. And this person comes to me for counsel. I'm like, what? That's crazy. That's crazy. And I remember praying, God, you give me words because I don't have them if you don't. And I remember leaving the meeting being so blown away that I was given the words that I clearly didn't have. And what a great thing to rejoice that God can use us, every one of us here, in that particular way. All right, so number one, it was God who will do the speaking through you. Two, it might involve travel plans to leave Horry County. Three, meals are included. Four, it will allow us to experience and rely upon God's divine provision. Five, it shall teach us how much he loves us. Six, past failures have no bearing on future events. Seven, if your wife refuses to go along with the plan, she'll change your mind. Eight, don't worry, your wife will go along with the plan if it's God's plan in the end. Number nine, it's the easiest way to say thank you for Jesus for dying on a cross for our sin. And number 10, drum roll, God is the one making the call. Let me pray. Father, we thank you this morning that, um, that you are specific in your call, that you are intentional and and again, what blows me away is that you would use us. Father, we, um, we just rejoice that you would take sinful, broken, fallen human beings and, um, and do something with us that would bless others. That we could go into a world of, of corruption, of sadness, of grief, of suffering, of sickness, of turmoil, of trials, and, and that, that we could bring, whether it's a mag light or a flashlight or, or any type of light that comes from you, to take people out of darkness. And Lord, this is only by your grace. Lord, it's with your favor. Father, I pray for this church. I pray that, that this will be a church that will be recognized in this community for being called to minister, to love, to care, to make a difference for the cause of Christ. Father, I pray, again, there, there's a couple of us here tonight that are, that are kicking. They are kicking, saying, no, no, I don't want to go. Lord, I pray, give them grace in the midst of that response. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.